Hello, and welcome back to the Fight Sites MMA podcast. This week, uh, my good friend and co-host Sriram, the coward, has stepped out. Uh, he's decided that his education is just too important, uh, and he just would not be caught dead saying anything positive about Israel Adesanya. So he has cowardly decided to leave this week and uh, just leave Haxorized and myself to cover this uh immaculate pay-per-view on our own um but that's okay because uh i get to needle serum we all get to needle serum i mean what's more fun than that for making a wrong prediction and uh we actually have a pretty spectacular performance to discuss this week and i'm very excited about it uh with me is my i'm just gonna start calling you my pay-per-view buddy because that's kind of what you've become over this year, Hacks, and it's been great. Um, how much Hacks has come on the show and and been a lot of our, you know, like our anchor for these pay per views. And uh, to be quite honest, I don't think there's anyone I'd rather be talking about Israel Adesanya with than Hacks Arise. So Hacks, introduce yourself once again. So I, I, I'm here because uh, we. We got a great series of fights by one half of the people fighting, and because we finally we finally proved the himbo rule, there's only uh, there's only allowed to be one good himbo fighter in a five round pay per view performance per year, and <laughs> you know Dustin uh, Dustin went and did it, so Costa got Costa got absolutely destroyed. Those are the eternal laws of the universe, and you can't break them. Yeah, that's just yeah. The, the way it works. I mean, they can't. If Costa were to win this, I feel like everything would everything would be offset, right? More than it is in 2020. <laughs> I mean, Costa wasn't allowed to win a damn thing, so the rule seems pretty strict. Like, it's not, oh, you underperformed, it's, oh, you got killed. Yep, ipso facto. <laughs> um, as I said at the top, we're the main sort of topic we're going to be discussing today is Israel Adesanya's second round... Uh, TKO victory over the number one contender, Paulo Costa, which is in and of itself a really cool thing when a champion wins that decisively over this, you know, supposed number one contender. It's a pretty uncommon thing. Um, and there is so much to unpack with that fight. And I'm very excited that we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be doing exactly that with hacks. And then we're going to move on to the co-main, uh, Jan Blahovich, Jan of Rivia knocks out uh, the champion Dominic Reyes in his first title defense. Um, and Jan of Rivia is crowned new champ. Dominic Reyes, some of us thought he was going to be, you know, he was going to subvert the light heavyweight trend. As it turned out, he just waited until after he fought for the title to become like every other light heavyweight. And that is very funny. And there were a few other things that we could talk about on the card, but I think most of our energy is going to be spent on the top two. Um, so without, you know, dragging this out any longer, I'll, I'll lead hacks and say, I thought Israel Adesanya looked masterful. I think there's a lot, I mean, there's sort of a two pronged way to look at this. One of them is, you know, Paulo Costa having the wrong game plan, kind of showing up. Uh, without any ideas, you know, whether he got spooked or solved. I think we can talk about a lot of those possibilities. But I do think 
we should not bury the fact that Adesanya looked sensational and really showed up with an acute understanding of the man in front of him and all the threats that he had. Um, like I'm still kind of amazed at how quickly he just disposed of what was supposed to be his biggest test. So what, what was your initial read? What are you thinking? I mean, I, I didn't show up on the podcast before this fight and it's probably for the best that I didn't because you know, I needed to get in some last-minute Costa tape watching. I uh, I didn't have a good enough read on him until maybe like two or three days before the event. But uh, I'll try and come at this from the side I know, which is the easy side. Um, I, I've said this for a while. I think Israel Adesanya is a, is a fighter that a lot of people in mixed martial arts analysis, they have this idea of who they think he is, and it's actually very different to the type of fighter he is. Um, I was really talking about this with uh, Dan at typewriting DA and Tuman. I, I think it's funny because despite all of the ways in which he's a better fighter, a lot of Israel Adesanya's accomplishments and identity is quite comparable to Anderson Silva. I think he's very similar in that people have an image of Adesanya that they talk about or they fight, and then there's the fighter himself. Like, I think Adesanya showed in this fight everything that kind of captures Adesanya. He has a cohesive mechanism for establishing safe, razor-sharp leads, particularly through, what's Jack's like called, the question kick, his jab and his shoulder feints. All of his feints play together. Um, he's very, very good at using those same feints to drain his opponent's mobility, either by physically damaging their ability to move or by attacking their gas tank. And he can disguise all of those feinting options so they're similar in how they look or how they're going to hit you. And that snowballs into an extremely precise game that is built on accuracy and patience and counter-striking and defensive layers that come from the reads his feints get. And that's that's what the fight showed us, is he was able to, using primarily his um, kicks and effective ring craft early, he was able to limit Costa's mobility, do a continual attritional amount of damage all the way through round one. And in round two, when it was pretty clear that Costa couldn't move as well as he wanted to, Costa was taking more damage than he was used to at range, Costa wasn't, for various reasons, and we can discuss those more in detail, Costa wasn't able to apply the pressure he wanted to. Those three things came together. He started taking more damage, I think, than Costa expected to. He started reaching. He started reacting more to the feints. Izzy could sit down on his punches, and his punishes, I suppose, and get a violent finish. So, you know, it was kind of the consummate Adesanya performance. Um, it, It... Watching him fight to me feels like a snowball. He doesn't really create attrition through any one thing. He has a bunch of safe leads, a bunch of cool ideas that he gets going. And once he gets going, once he figures you out, there's very little do you can, there's very little you can do to stop him running away with the fight. I just sometimes wish that people would talk less about Adesanya like he's this god of combat who enters the matrix and more as this extremely precise and calculated tactician who comes up with something new for each man 
every fight and in particular is becoming impeccably more refined in the pocket and always seems to have a plan on how he's going to get himself to the fight where he can say, yeah, I kind of know what your preferences are. I know where your distance is. Now I'm going to clang you when you come in because you're mad because I keep poking at you. So I think it's probably good to just jump straight into that. Um, because one of the things that you said watching the fight live that resonated with me, because I, I think it, a good place to start is the first round. Um, I think the the broad consensus was that Costa, you know, if if, if someone was going to have like a window in this fight to win, it was probably going to be Costa and that his window was probably going to be an er, you know an early finish. It was likely to be Paulo Costa just going ham from the beginning and one of the things that you pointed out in the first round was you said, you know, like, I did not like that first round at all from Paulo Costa because it basically allowed Adesanya to gather all of the information that he wanted, that he needed, at basically no cost. Ha <laughs> um, He literally was able to, he was, you know, playing off his sort of hand, hip, shoulder feints, uh, very easily, and that was clearly giving Costa issue from the beginning. Um, started layering in some singular attacks and then sort of doubling up and so on and so forth. You know, we know what that looks like. But it was the fact that it was... There was nothing... Costa was offering no threats in response to it that basically meant that Adesanya could, you know could just gather his information for free. I mean, we've seen Adesanya struggle at times in the UFC to gather that information, and we've seen him, uh, you know, have some difficulty early gathering, you know, gathering his sort of reads and, you know, building up his feints and momentum uh, against fast starters. I mean, that was part of the reason that Kelvin Gastelum just sort of stormed out of the gate and was able to, you know, get under Adesanya's strikes before Adesanya could really get rolling. Um, it was the fact that you said live, you're like, I did not like that round from Costa at all because Adesanya has effectively laid his fainting uh, groundwork. He's established a couple reliable threats with the jab, uh, with the, you know, the linear sort of teep kick, uh, or the oblique kick, rather, whatever you want to call it, um, some round kicks, so on and so forth. He's he's laid those threats down. He has his fainting groundwork at basically no cost. Um, it really didn't tax him physically or, you know, psychologically. It's not like he had to he wasn't filtering through, you know, a lot of volume coming back at him. And this is actually one of the things that I thought Costa was going to be. Why Costa was I thought was supposed to be interesting for Adesanya because Costa seemed like he might be poised to just attack a feint as if it was a real strike. You know, he may, you know, in similar to like Volkanovsky Holloway one, like I am the bigger hitter in these exchanges. If you're going to feint at me, I might as well just try to get one or two shots in there. Even if I'm eating a couple in return, you know, even though I know you're fainting um, because it might, it might pay dividends and you're still, you know, the mechanics of your body are still moving and you might still be in some sort of position, you know, that I could capitalize on. So I'm going to swing at the feints anyway. You know, we I think we've actually talked about Peter Yan as being someone who's 
you know, who has the sort of mindset of, you know, when dealing with an avid fainter. Um, but it wasn't like that at all. You know, Costa was incredibly uncomfortable from the very beginning. Um, and so that was, I, I described the Adesanya's first round as being like just annoyingly efficient. Um, and it was because he was just, he, he didn't have to, he didn't have to do anything. He didn't really have to expend any more energy than was necessary you know, to get everything that he wanted. I mean, people have their, shall we say, interpretations as to why Adesanya got so much for so little. I think a take that I liked was by a guy called, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, I'm going to regret it, uh, Bilal at Dead Potato 1, I think. And he kind of broke down different things that Izian did to stuff Costa around and really screw with him. And I don't want to mention them all because, you know, he did the work, so go read his Twitter. He breaks it all down. Um, but essentially the TLDR is that Costa became increasingly uncomfortable at range. He tried brief periods of pressuring more but was very dissuaded um, by particularly by Izzy just threatening to step in with punches and that transitioned into a lot of low kick damage which transitioned into the process we we kind of talked about um, the thing that to take is and he kind of concluded that you know not give, saying that he gave static percentages but Costa's quote-unquote underperformance was partially a construct of Izzy's brilliant work and partially a construct of Costa's mistakes. And I think that's a pretty good take. To perhaps to, to, yeah. to be more specific um, and then to go to um, Dan at typewriting DA's analysis, he kind of, as he does, put together you know, a pretty in-depth overlook of the first two minutes because I think the first two minutes is incredibly important to talk about. Um, I have a preference towards the first two minutes of a fight always because I think that gives you a powerful insight to what the fighters are thinking at the start. Um, but a point that Dan's analysis really highlighted was if you look at the situations where Costa decides to give Izzy just space, just in a in an extremely abstract, simple way, how much space does he give Izzy? Is he disinterested in stepping in like he was at 337 or not following from pressure to his body kicks at 330? Um, his, or four, I think it was 435, and he just conceded quite a bit of distance. If you compare the, the distance at which Costa is willing to operate in this fight to a fight like, say, uh, Romero, there is a difference. It, it is a, it is a noticeable difference. And I have no doubt and completely agree with all analysis that says Izzy presents a threat that is completely different to Romero. It is in particularly with respect to a layered game at range, but it does seem a little odd that Costa was willing to walk into Romero and got his ass knocked down and beaten around a few times for it. In, you know, the second and third round where he was starting to take some damage, but he fights Izzy and less than a minute into the fight, where I think everybody can agree his mobility was not compromised to the degree it was in the second round, 
Costa is conceding more distance, or at least appears to be. That is interesting to me. Um, and people have had different ideas for why that happened, but I don't want to guess too much about why Costa did it, other than to say it had some shades of... It looked like he was almost trying to copy what Romero did to Izzy, but in the big-picture sense... Um, that makes me feel that this wasn't entirely due to Izzy's credit. And I think it's possible to say Izzy did everything right. And also Costa, in the words of, uh, I hope I don't get beaten up for calling him this, uh, Phil from TFS, French Phil. I'll get, I'll definitely get killed for saying that. Um, <laughs> in his words, Costa did feel like he walked away from what made him great. And you can't do that against somebody as good as Adesanya. I mean, surely he's in everyone's top three pound for pound list in the UFC after this. Like, walk away from what made you you against somebody that good and you're going to get your ass beat. It's that simple. That's an, that's an interesting thought. Um, and I think there's a few, there's a few possible theories as to why that may have been. Um, I know our good friend Simon has posited the idea that Adesanya might just be developing a bit of an aura. Um, and I can buy that. You know, Anderson Silva absolutely probably is like the quintessential aura fire. It's either, you know, him or John Jones, you know, in terms of opponents who just sort of outthought themselves the moment they stepped in uh, against him because they were just sort of momentarily stunned. Um, I think that's a possibility. I think think that some of it was probably the fact that I, I think some of it in a technical level was probably Adesanya's cagecraft um, and ringcraft I think was was a, an awesome tweet by Jack Slack where he basically said this is why I'm always reluctant to call people good cage cutters in MMA until I see them against someone with legitimate craft on the outside um and I think that was really instructive because Adesanya was, you know, keenly aware of his own positioning. He was so cautious and so careful, always broke the line of attack on an angle. He knew exactly when to flatten his stance along the fence to kind of faint both exits. Um, you know, when Costa would sort of step in and commit, he would either, Izzy would either plant, you know, take an angle, plant and attack, or he would angle out. Um and Adesanya is the only one of Costa's opponents thus far with any modicum of ringcraft. And he was the one who completely outmaneuvered him. So I think there's that as a possibility. Um, but I also think the one that I sort of tend to believe is that I think Costa may have, may have learned a bit of a lesson about himself against Joel Romero. And he felt the need to, you know, he might be trying to take steps towards being a more cautious, uh, dare I say, technical kickboxer in MMA. And this was decidedly the wrong person to try that against. Um, do any of those sound right to you, Hacks? Do you think there's any credence to, you know... You know, some kind of aura. I'm sure I know the ring craft had something to do with it. And then, you know, do you think this was Costa's attempt to kind of rectify a messier, uglier win over Romero? What do you think? 
I, I think my, my first thought is that I don't disagree with uh, Jack Slack at all. I do think that there's a few extra things that go into the specifics of a Costa-Izzy fight that make it a little bit more than just uh, Costa had unproven ringcraft. I think there are a few natural things, and I, you know, um, this is something that kind of factored into my own prediction, which, you know, uh, did write up. Um, Costa has never looked as confident pressuring on when he's pressuring against the Southpaw. Uh, Tuman pointed that out. I think Jack Slack pointed that out. I kind of noticed that when I finally caught up on the Costa tape. And in round two, um, it looked like Costa was trying to make an adjustment in terms of being more active with his um, jab to, you know, try and deal with this uh, the issues he was having with Izzy at range. But since Izzy's happy to switch to Southpaw, that makes the ring craft even more complicated. And it also gave Izzy angles for, you know, high kicks and... I suppose, for lack of a better term, hand fighting Costa's lead hand. So I think there are some specific technical, probably not the best way to describe it given the ending of the fight, but screw it, YOLO, uh, man-on-man action that, you know, made it particularly difficult for Costa that I think some people are over overlooking a little. Um, you know, the, the weakness, yeah, Costa's weakness with respect to Ringcraft and specific matchups of stance that that is one factor I'd add to everything that um, shall we say the Jack Slack theorem because I do remember reading him making that argument in like 2013 so you know he probably he probably wrote it down first that means he gets the rules according to Western uh, historiography so yeah that's part of it I think a second component yes I do think Izzy has a has an aura about him I, I've made this point a lot I think that people a lot of people see Israel Adesanya as this devastating guy who exists in the Matrix 24-7. He can dodge any entry and he will kill you dead on the first counter-strike he lands. And that is simply not true. That is, Izzy straight up doesn't do that ever. He knocks people out after he's figured them out. He knocks people out after he's drained them and he's made them a little bit slower and a little bit more tentative and he's established a database of reads from which he can craft some of the best defensive responses in the UFC. He's not a swarming combination puncher. He's not a one-punch knockout artist. He is a guy who knocks you dead after he gets you where he wants you to be. And that is increasingly becoming in the pocket because he's, you know, his pocket game has become a lot better over his UFC career. Um, yeah, so that that's definitely something I think people overestimate Izzy in certain ways and vastly underestimate him in others. And, you know, Costa gave him a lot of free time to figure that out, whereas somebody like uh, everyone's favourite little Mexican triangle, uh, Gastelum, just went straight at him from the beginning and denied Izzy the comfort and space to manufacture those reads because Izzy started cracking him later on in the fight, but he was having a lot less trouble, sorry, having a lot more trouble landing clean and landing safe at the same time in the first few rounds of the Gastelum fight, although Izzy has improved a lot since then. Do I think part of this is because Costa decided to be more technical? Um, I I just don't think I've seen enough Costa tape. I haven't taken apart every single fight of his with a fine-tooth comb yet. And part of me feels like that's a cool theory to throw out, but we'd have to see how he goes against a few other guys. Izzy, particularly from the perspective of Costa's ringcraft, is such a thorny problem with so many variables to it that... 
I really want to see Costa against guys that just aren't as good first before I agree with anything like that. And I'd also add, I want to see if Costa just comes out with a plan like that, or he goes back at, as as Fenno put, just pressuring people nonstop at, regardless of the physical or the technical cost, pretty much from the bell, the way he has in other fights. Because I think maybe that's a good summary of quote-unquote Costa's pressure in this fight. Um, in other fights, Costa would pressure at the expense of himself if it came down to it. In this fight, he looked like he was willing to make a few moments of pressure, but the second he realized that it, it, you know, it would be expensive for him, he seemed far more intimidated by paying that price than he has in any other fight, particularly against Romero, which, you know, <laughs> means that he's a lot less scared of Romero than everyone else in the division. Um, yeah, I, I want to see him against other fighters in this division before I reflect on that. Yep. But I, I would definitely toss one the first two. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the point of like, you know, sort of fighting the, fighting the mirage of Adesanya as opposed to fighting the man, Israel Adesanya. Um, because I think it's sort of, it kind of devalues what Adesanya does well. Like it's sort of, you know, it seems like it's kind of unfair to, to, to call Adesanya, oh, well, he's just, He's just so much better than everybody else. He's just the, the you know, he's just too high level. It, there's levels to this. Clearly, there's levels to this. I think it's kind of unfair to to say that about him because he's actually, it doesn't give enough credit to the things that he does well. And I think that it's sort of a defeating, it's a defeatist way for opponents to look at Adesanya if he's just so much better. It's like. Well, you know, what does he do better? Because we've definitely seen some issues for Adesanya in the UFC. He's had issues establishing threats when his feints aren't really, you know, manufacturing any sort of responses against Romero. We've seen him struggle against a shorter opponent who could get under and around his strikes easier, who's really fast, um, who didn't give him time to establish the reads. Like, we've seen, you know, it's not like he hasn't been tested, but... I think you have to really give a lot of credit to Adesanya's ability to to figure people out. You know, he's playing a he with the with the fainting that he does, it's a pretty high percentage game that he's playing. And it's you know, if if the the knockout in the pocket, like if they start to seem where where that was where Adesanya's weakness was usually pinned was that, you know, his pocket and his head movement and so forth. But it's, you know, it's a real testament to Adesanya's uh, self-evaluation as a fighter that he can look at that problem and say, OK, you know, one, I need to improve here, which I think he has. I think he's gotten better at slipping and, and, and exiting and angling in the pocket. Um, but also he's built a game around opponents struggling to get to those positions reliably. And Costa, like, you know, to bring it back to the fight itself, Costa struggled to get in those positions mightily. Um, You know, he could not take more than two steps forward without Adesanya taking an angle away from him. If he tried punching his way in, Adesanya was always fighting hands. He was sort of denying him the jab. Um... Which, you know, and then Costa, I joked about this, but it's absolutely true. Costa did not throw a single 
rear hand punch. He threw zero punches from his rear hand. Um, and I, I think that can be attributed to Costa doing something wrong. Because if you're fighting a long, you know, sticky puncher in Adesanya, who's, you know, very handsy and, God, this is really sounding homoerotic, isn't it? Um, who's, you know, sort of denying your jab, why not try a sort of long, straight shot to the body with your rear hand? Just try one. Like, that's that's an option there. That's sort of, again, that's one of the things we thought Costa was going to be good at here, was that is attacking Adesanya's body, because no one's really done that, and no one's really committed to it. Um, but it was it was fascinating and really remarkable to see Adesanya, you know, not just, he didn't just sort of mute Costa from the beginning. I mean, he did do that, but it was how quickly and efficiently he built on what he had established against him. It was the fact that Costa's only, you know, Costa's sort of main entry weapon using the jab to get inside was muted. Um, Adesanya could faint Costa backwards, which was nightmarish for Costa. Um, the kicking, you know, double attack was still there. Uh, you know, there was a lovely, like, Adesanya sort of standing southpaw, hand fighting with Costa's lead hand. He sort of threw away the left straight, or he, he threw the left straight first, landed it, and then sort of threw away the left straight, got Costa slipping outside, and then domed him with a high kick, um, like a left round kick upstairs. Also using that to shelf the the right hand. It's like all of these things together, it was just such a... like, like Analysts talk in terms of depth. Like, that is one of the things that we talk about in in fighting is like how deep your skill set goes. And this was like whatever we say about Costa, like the the focus on Adesanya truly was a performance of honest to god depth. Like it was a you know, he he just seemed like he had everything covered. Um and there wasn't anything that that, that Costa really had that surprised Adesanya and it was just a matter of you know, how quickly and efficiently could Adesanya take those weapons away. And I think like all good performances of depth, it was built on some very simple observations that were followed up by, in an almost Volkanovsky-like fashion, a second stage adjustment just in case the other guy got smart. I mean, if you want to boil what Adesanya did down to like three or four principles, it was spend half the fight breaking Costa's stance. So, you know, the primary weapons, of course, there was, you know, calf kicks. And then when... Costa made some adjustments into the second round, um, you know, throwing more kicks. Uh, if he swapped to, you know, when Izzy swapped to Southpaw, he had the high kick available. When he didn't swap to Southpaw, he had linear kicks to the leg. You know, so that, that was the first stuff. Just just keep breaking his stance. Second part, oh, Costa's going to step in, Izzy. Just punch him. Like, that, I know that, you know, it's like, well, I mean, it's a it's a mixed martial arts fight. And he's a striker. Of course he punches him. But, like, you watch it, and it, Izzy's plan was literally like, ah, oh, look, there Costa goes, kicking again, and just steps in and smacks him. And he smacks him from various angles with various ideas. But, you know, it, very simple. Nothing complex. Um, and again, when we had the Southpaw stance shift, Izzy was keenly aware through his own, shall we say, hand-to-hand combat that he now had more opportunities to control and divert and, and, you know, fuck around with Costa's lead hand. 
And that's kind of 95% of the game in this fight. I have better ring craft than you. I'm going to crack you and you set your feet to throw a kick. I've got many options available for that. And I'm just going to keep breaking your stance with my own kicks. And when you can do so much with, I'm not going to say so little, but when you can accomplish so much with some very simple techniques and very simple approaches, that says a lot about the depth in your game. Because you don't need to force anything. You don't need some ultra-complex strategy or technical maneuver to beat this guy. You know what you have to do, and you can manipulate a bunch of simple tools, which must be said, you know, calf kicks, linear kicks to the leg, uh, you know, just any kind of, any kind really of intercepting punch that you want to go for. He was getting away with all of them. Um, and, and some basic hand fighting. If you can fit those four things into a game that's already built around three or four feints that play off each other and look similar, um, you can, you can con, you know, you can conquer a whole division. I mean, Chris Weidman won a lot of good fights in middleweight with less. So, you know, why not? Why not do it? Um, yeah. I mean, I think you, you pretty much said it. It was the, I, I said in the simplest of terms, like, Adesanya is a fighter who can do a lot with a little. I think Costa needed to do a lot with a lot. Um, Costa was the one who really needed to be relying on big committed punch entries. He's the one who needed to be, you know, continually forcing Adesanya to the cage and creating exchanges. He needed to be hammering the body and Adesanya's game was just, as I said, it was just a much higher percentage one. Um, he wasn't, he, he didn't have to expend much at all. And it just felt like, you know, at every turn, what not only was a piece of his game working, but it was it was working in tandem with the sort of larger strategic goal. Um, so yeah, I like I said, I really felt it was just a a masterful performance. Um, like unbelievable. Uh, I know there's there's things to critique about Paulo Costa. There's maybe questions about where he goes from here. Um, and again, I don't really even know if there's a a super thrilling fight up next for uh for Adesanya. I know he's sort of called out, you know, he really wants to fight Jared Cannonier, but like I got to be honest, that doesn't really do a lot for me. Um but nonetheless, like after a performance like that, I'll watch Adesanya fight pretty much anybody. Um so just lovely. Moving on, uh, to the real main event of the evening, the one that we are actually we actually care about, and hacks you had some really awesome uh, live comments on this one, so I'm gonna let you kick it off. Jan of Rivia knocks out Dominic Reyes, uh, much to my surprise. I didn't pick I didn't pick uh, Blahovich to win that fight. Um, what a weird result. Is this the is this the this is the fate that 205 deserves? What do you think? Um I you know, it's funny because I think I did a pretty good job of predicting why the people that were going to win these two fights would win these two fights and why the two people who were going to lose these two fights were going to lose these two fights. Um I I I have been a fan of Raves up until this fight for a while. I think I had a comment on uh, one of these podcasts before, I've said it uh, 
as early back as I think the OSP fight. What I liked about Reyes, what I think would make him the next champion, was that he seemed to have a slow but deliberate improvement between fights, and he seemed to add a little something, not a lot, just in the words of Ed, just a treat, um, to his game every fight. And, you know, for me, somebody who seems to be learning something new every fight, doesn't seem to be unlearning anything, doesn't seem to be regressing, is probably going to be enough to win light heavyweight, particularly when you have athletic advantages. And then Reyes came along and fucked all that up by doing literally none of the shit I just said and forgot everything and got blasted. So, you know, uh, time to sell Reyes stocks. Um, jokes aside, but, I mean, uh, you know... There's only so much more you can say there. He he didn't show any confidence with his uh, countering that he did against Jones. Um, it didn't look like Reyes was prepared for what Yan does at all. Like he he seemed shocked that Yan was displaying a more layered and complete jab than like anyone else in light heavyweight, and he was very confused when he couldn't get the inside foot position. And it's like, uh, come on, dude, you you've shown stuff that would work okay in this situation. Um, why don't you show some of that stuff you've already shown? And he didn't. And Yan fight an extremely good fight with, uh, loved, loved the kicks to the body and, and Yan blasted him. And I don't want to sound like I'm damn playing what, uh, Yan accomplished. I think his, his adjustments and his ideas are great. It's just, um, yeah, Ray's kind of gave him a blank canvas to work on and, uh, very happy yeah. that Yan won in one sense because, uh, I really like the guy. I, I do. Up until this fight, I did cheer for Reyes ahead of him because I also like Reyes. But I mean, you know, can't be too complain complaining about the result. But um, yeah, this is one of those fights where it's like, here's a guy I think wins. Here's all of the stuff that I think he does that will get him the win. He did none of the stuff and then got knocked out. And it's like, ah, fuck this, I'm going home. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, yeah. And in a way, maybe as a one last thing, I'm quite sad and a little frustrated that this fight went the way it did because a turnaround story as remarkable as Yan's, which is a maybe 2020s example other than perhaps shout out to Serum, even though you're not here, screw you, buddy, and your boy, Darius. Other than Darius, this might be the 2020 turnaround story of somebody that doesn't have the best athleticism, doesn't have the best, shall we say, um, fundamental technical base hasn't has had some i won't say embarrassing but some pretty bad losses and through technique and process and most important skill of all in mixed martial arts self-awareness about what they're good at what they're bad at what they need to improve at has got themselves some impressive wins that they all other things being equal may not have gotten before you know that we should be celebrating yan's accomplishment and it's a shame he didn't get it in a real barn burner of a high-level fight. Yeah, um, I, I I think that's that's kind of how I felt too. Because the <laughs> going into the fight, our group chat, we were kind of split on like who was you know. I think most people were picking Reyes. Some people felt like Jan was going to take it. Um, but I think it was, once again, it was Simon, who had a really good night, uh, UFC 253, now that I think about it. Um, he said, Reyes is going to pull the ultimate light heavyweight move. Uh, he's like, you know, we thought 
we thought Reyes had kind of bucked the trend of being a normal light heavyweight because he had show, shown those sort of steady improvements. Um, and it was enough to, dare I say, beat John Jones. And we thought, well, that's probably going to galvanize him and, you know, he'll continue to do what he's done and so on and so forth. Uh, but in true light heavyweight fashion, Reyes proved himself amongst all the others <laughs> and he went backwards as soon as he went forwards, like just as, just as quickly as he went forwards. Um, blank slate is absolutely the right way to put it. I mean, it felt like I was watching an OSP fight. Um, it was, it was bizarre to see, like, it, you know, the, the first time Jan rushed at him and sort of caught Reyes just sort of shelling on the back foot, I was like, okay. You know, okay, sure. Like Reyes, maybe, maybe he needed, maybe he needed like one kind of hairy exchange, understanding like what, uh, you know, how Jan was gonna rush him. You know, what his sort of shifting combinations looked like. Okay, I'm like, okay, fair. It's like the same reason sometimes guys can get caught out by a takedown early in a fight, and then as it goes on, they get better and better at at defending it because they're sort of expecting it. I was like, okay, I'll give it to him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let that one be what it was, but then it happened again and again and again, and it kept going unpunished. And, and I think back to something that Phil McKenzie said going into this fight was that he just, he's like, I just feel like I don't trust Reyes as much as I should. Like, despite the athleticism, which Reyes obviously has and the youth relative to the division, He's like, I just don't know if his actual skill set is really going to be that good at dealing with competent strikers. And I don't, you know, I think the answer was a resounding no. I mean, he didn't really try to kick to the open side. I think his setups were pretty, you know, pretty weak for the most part. They were pretty empty. Um, seemed really strangely uncomfortable dealing with an orthodox jabber um and then jan in a true kind of i mean this is sort of the the true jan blahovich way um and this is sort of part of the reason why i think the victory is so sweet for him is because in a you know in the way that he's done in this whole sort of reinvention winning streak as you put it hacks um he found something that worked and he kept doing it and like that seems like so basic and so uninteresting to say it, but it's absolutely true. MMA fighters like get scared off by their own success or they get bored of their own success. Um, it's it is insane how much you you know a fighter may throw a shot to the body and it may land as clean as any punch they've landed, but they're almost like oh that worked too well, you know like I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Like that was that that something's wrong. That worked too well. And Jan Blahovich, like one of the best things you can say about Jan is that he just he is a real like gritty nuts and bolts type fighter. You know, it, not in a way that's entirely dissimilar to someone like Stipe Miocic, where they just you find something that works and you just play that card until you can't anymore. And it was, you know, it was quick for, for, for Blahovich. He realized not only did Reyes's, you know, Reyes not really know how to, 
how to deal with them at all. His, you know, Reyes's counter punches seemingly went out the window. Um, but also Reyes couldn't fight backing up. I mean, it was off the back foot that Reyes had the most trouble with John Jones. Um, and that was exactly what Jan did. Like I said, he just sort of kept, kept swinging the axe until it went down. Um, and it was, I mean, it really is like a feel good story. Like I, I can't lie. I was a little bummed too. Like similar to you, Hacks, I was actually, I was more fond of Reyes than I think most people, but I mean, what's to what? How can you complain about that result for Jan Blachowicz? Like it was, like I said, he, he. It's just sort of finding something really simple that works, and do it until it stops working. I mean, as people are listening, I don't have as much uh, technical analysis for this one as I did for Anasanya Costa, um, but it's in broader terms. It was it was pretty telling. I, I mean, there's not a huge amount to say technically because it's like Jan was like, oh, I, wow, okay, these kicks to the body are roughing him up. He is having a pretty decent amount of success for light heavyweight standards of, you know, minimizing the damage my rushes are doing, but he's not stopping me, and he just kept, you know, he just kept smashing the button. Like, that That was Jan. He's like the, the guy at the automotive factory that presses the button to, you know, to like build the cars, keep smashing that button until the until the shift's over. Why wouldn't you? He wasn't taking serious damage. Like just just keep doing the thing that works until you get the win. I love it. Um, I w- I would say two things. Firstly, in a repeat of uh, everyone's favorite uh, firefighting boy, Jan won this by being less like a light heavyweight than everybody else that's fought in the division. <laughs> In like <laughs> nine months, like how great is that? Like he he found something that works, and he just kept doing it over and over again. And he wasn't he wasn't um, dissuaded by the fact that it wasn't clean or pretty. It was just effective. I mean, even John Jones has yeah, abandoned has clearly abandoned things that were working, but he didn't. You know, he weren't imposing his will. Yen's like. I don't care about looking good. I'm just, I'm, I'm winning. Why, do, why would I want to stop winning? I like winning. I'm gonna keep winning, which makes him like the least light heavyweight, light heavyweight that's ever light heavyweighted in like ten thousand years. So you've got to celebrate that. Second thing I would say is I remember the UFC commentators making this point, and I'm surprised nobody else has made this point. And I hope, uh, I hope Schwan makes this point because he, he's, he's our boy. You know, he'll make this point. Didn't Reyes change his coaching team to his brother coming into this fight? Because if he did... I, I, I don't know. I think that, it's that time is, to get a new coach. New, new I think it's, I did I think it's dead time to get a new coach. Like, no matter what you want to say about Jones being diminished as a striker or this, that, or the other, all of which I agree with, the camp that made Reyes with a few simple... Oh, hacks! You just got all fuzzy. Something change? Sorry, but we'll. I'll see if I can. Uh, I'll see if I can pitch this to Sturm so we can clean this up. You just got all fuzzy all of a sudden, um, out of nowhere. Try again. We good? Yep, you're good. 
Try again. Okay, I think that was just internet. But um, yeah, the the, the camp that Reyes took with him into the Jones fight didn't feel at all like the camp that he like uh, strategically, you know, preparation wise, the camp for this fight. And I'm going to be honest with you, if he changed his camp because he lost the Jones fight, like if he thinks that his camp let him down, then Reyes is an idiot and deserves to never win again. And I'm washing, I'm selling all of my Reyes shares and never buying in him again. Um, I understand yeah, I'm yeah. reaching a bit here, but, like, Ray's lost the Jones fight, lost, in my mind, because of a lot of inexperience. He was jumpy, he was wasteful with his energy, but a lot of it looked to me like he just needed to... He was doing good things, they just needed to be refined, and judges and mixed martial arts are a joke. He literally didn't need to think any more about that loss other than that. The process was good, the ideas were good, just keep doing more of it and don't be, you know, like uh, an Easter bunny on crack cocaine bouncing around the ring, wasting unnecessary energy, being light on your feet when you don't need to. I, yeah, so, something really ticks me off that it looked, hearing about um, Razor's corner change, that one annoys me. And if that had an impact on why he lost here, then I'm genuinely very angry about it because why change your team after a, a fight like that against Jones when the result is you fight like this. Like, and, and, and people can say, well, oh, well, what about the impact of Razor as a fighter? He didn't look like he knew anything Yan was going to do at all. Like, if your camp isn't yeah. helping you to prepare for what Yan's going to do, and I'm not knocking Yan here, I'm saying what he is going to do is a known quantity. If you don't have some basic answers to that, then you need a new team. And I, I know people will say, wow, you're really judging the coaching change um in one fight my response is yeah damn well i am he got knocked out fighters fighters shouldn't be getting knocked out like that fighters shouldn't be regressing like this was a like an abnormally bad result for for reyes like considering that his his worst was a sort of scrappy decision win over vulcan uzdemir yeah ugly as it was but he still he still committed to the things that were working far more than he did here i it it looked like a like a big regression. I think you're absolutely on the mark there. Again, I didn't I didn't know about that until you said it. I didn't I don't know the validity behind that if he changed his camp. But having when you saying that and describing it, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, like that really sounds like <laughs> that may have been exactly what happened here. Um, again, I don't want to I don't want to discredit Jan here. Like this is really. This is the feel-good MMA story of 2020, so enjoy it. Um, but yeah, no, he. There were things that he did in the past that looked like they would have worked perfectly fine here, and he just didn't do them for some reason. And that is a it is a real mark of Reyes's own intelligence as a fighter. If you know, if he looked at the John Jones fight, which, by the way. Dana White even said he won. And I'm not saying you should go listen to everything Dana White says, but generally when Dana, you know, in a, in a situation like that with where John Jones keeps the belt and you have a bunch of media people and the president of the company, everyone is sort of coming out and saying that you won the fight clearly. Like, that should encourage you to, you know, to continue with the things that were working. That should give you a sense of, like, I am on the right track. Like, I was really close that time. Like, I know I can make it happen. Um, and it just, it just wasn't. 
You know, it was like a, instead of a, you know, Johnny Hendrix with the GSP thing. <clears throat> and then he sort of came out against Robbie Lawler and he sort of won it at the 11th hour um, after a war where it's like, yeah, he sort of took a lot of the lessons he, you know, from the first time he didn't repeat, you know, he didn't repeat the mistakes. It was it was a Kelvin Gastelum after the Adesanya fight against Darren Till. You know, it was just it was just ugly. Um, so, yeah, that that's again, I, I don't I don't know the validity to it. Hacks, you're the first person that I've heard say anything about that. Um, I'm I'm inclined to believe you. I'm not at all calling you a liar or anything. I'm just saying I hadn't I didn't know that that was the case um, or anything really beyond that. But if it is the explanation, I think that makes all the sense in the world. Um. Was there anything else on this card that you really wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Because I really, like I said, the the main the main event was the one we really needed to talk about, and I think it was worth sparing a few words on Jan Reyes. Um, was there anything else that really jumped out to you on this card? Uh, I don't. I don't really think so. I'm open to like discussing them, but I think most of the other most of the other fights were. I'm not going to say they were particularly good or particularly bad, but I think they're all pretty instructive. Like, um, you know, we we learned a few things about Hakeem in particular. You know, I, I thought that was a pretty gritty performance, but I want to see how he goes against more active fainters. You know, there were a few fights like that, but I think a lot of I think a lot of the other fights were. Or the, the fights that I found interesting, like uh, like Royval, they were fighters. They were fighters that are very much fighters in progress. They made cool things that showed perhaps where some of their limits lie, or you know their potential areas of top top ten, top fifteen relevance as a fighter if they get there. But I don't think they really felt like deep strategic decompositions of, you know, like the way that the, the top two fights were. Like, they're yeah. interesting, and I think, like, as some of these fighters get, if they get to top five relevance, uh, we'll talk more about them, but mostly they were just good fights. I think most of the cards in this fight were pretty good, um, even if some of them weren't all that exciting or all that technical. I think they these, these fights did a good job of telling you who fighters were and who they valued and what makes the... Uh, the top two fights on the card particularly poignant in that sense is that they told us a lot of bad things about fighters that I think we'd come to expect better from, and they told us some incredibly impressive and layered things about fighters that we were already very sold on. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with your your take. It was works in progress. I think I think Brandon Royval showed a lot of heart and grit and determination and <laughs> creativity. Like I mean. You can see why a lot of people are going to be excited about that guy going forward. Um, still very much a work in progress. Still uh, a bit sloppy here and there, rough around the edges. I think Brad Riddell um, is still experiencing some growing pains here and there. Um, I think he's the way he rallied in the last two rounds and the way he kind of built his offense is still very impressive. I still think there's a lot to like about Brad Riddell going forward. I'm not, I'm not off the hype train. Um, but I do think that your your assessment was on point. I think it is a he's still kind of a work in progress. He's still pretty new to MMA. Um, you know, it took. I mean, for Volkanovski, like we we laud Volkanovski and rightfully so. But Volkanovski also had an extensive uh, like 
regional career before he joined the UFC. I mean, he came into the UFC with something like 16 fights under his belt or, you know, 15. It was it was a lot. Um, and he had a couple, you know, he had some some work in progress fights of his own going forward. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, and I, I think the guy, you know, the guy Riddell was fighting, Alex De Silva, actually looked like a strong positional grappler of his own um, and wrestler. Like, I don't I don't think it was just a, a sense of like Riddell underperforming. I think the person he was fighting was a really solid looking unranked fighter. Um and lightweight, you know, lightweight is filled to the brim with those. Uh, so, you know, I keep, keep it in perspective, I'd say. Um, again, still still looking forward to, to Brad Riddell. Um, I'm still looking forward to Kai Kara France. I mean, I don't, you know, may have some questions about his athletic ceiling and so forth, but, like, he, he had enough, you know, there was enough grit and he had enough good moments against Royville that, like, I'm also excited to see him again, so... Um, that is pretty much all I, all I have. Uh, this was a pretty top heavy card. Um, there's some, there's some good stuff to unpack. I mean, oh, one last thing. Diego Sanchez did not get knocked out. And that is a, isn't, isn't that a win, Hacks? Right? Tell me I'm right. Hacks. The only Wait, no, the no. only win for Diego Sanchez is if he retires and never fights again, and the yeah, IRS somehow finds some way to haul that fucking Svengali coach of his off to jail and beat him with sticks for the crime of existing. Oh, Diego oh. Sanchez, you might be the most abused person in MMA with respect to how all of the institutions take advantage of you. Um, and the sad it's thing true. is you're probably going to have so much damage to your brain and your ability to communicate clearly and your ability to reflect on your mistakes that you're never going to realize it. And normally I wouldn't say that much because I think fighters, because if you're a fighter, you understand the physical costs better than almost anyone outside the environment because you feel them. But I think Diego Sanchez is the guy I point to and people say there's no way you can know better than the fighters in, in mixed martial arts themselves. Prove me wrong. I point to Diego Sanchez and I go, yeah, that guy. All right. What, uh, what counter argument you got now? Yeah, it's, I, I was, I was watching with my girlfriend and I said to her, I was like, I think it was about halfway through the second round. And I said, the fact that Diego hasn't just been flattened by this point is a miracle. I was like, and it probably it probably has to do with the fact that Jake Matthews is just not particularly good, and really to me isn't much of a natural fighter at all. Um, you know, I'm sure that had something to do with it, but I just said I was like, the fact that he hasn't been completely flatlined is amazing. And then once again, Diego just proved me wrong that that actually wasn't the best thing for him because he got gouged open pretty badly in the third round and just spent most of it on the mat. Bleeding out. Um, it's ugly. I mean, I I know that Luke Thomas had a uh, Luke Thomas said this a while ago. I think he actually said it about the back in the Iaquinta fight, which was 2017. I mean, fuck me, I was a I was a sophomore in college when Diego started getting knocked out pretty regularly, and people were like, "Yeah, he should think about hanging it up." Um, like. Luke Thomas had a point where he said, you know, Diego has sort of always been this average fighter who has sort of willed himself to greatness. And over time, that has just 
eroded further and further. Um, it sounds like, again, I'm, I'm giving a lot of credence to Dana White, and I really shouldn't because I hate him. But I, I, I mean, I guess I'm gonna, gonna bring it up again. I think Dana is gonna have the, uh, the Forrest Griffin quote unquote talk with Diego where it's, you know, it's time you might want to think about retiring. You're retiring. Um, which honestly is really the best thing for him. So I hope he can get it straightened out. I really, I do not like watching shot to pieces fighters fight, no matter how I feel about them. It's the same reason, like, I know Josh Koscheck was an asshole, but I even said, I was like, I don't even, I don't like watching him take any more abuse. I don't like watching fighters who have nothing to offer continue just to put themselves in the line of fire. It doesn't give me any joy at all. Um, so a dour note to end on, but Hacks, thank you so much for joining me. Um, before there, you know, before we we exit out, is there anything that you're you're working on, you're writing, or that you want to share with the audience? Any pieces coming up? Uh, I think it's still just figuring out how to get the uh, the one that's already written to display. Um, oh, it still hasn't run yet. It still hasn't run yet. Um, okay. Other than that, you know, it's thinking of terrible one-liners for other people's pieces. Um, I, I'm low-key now that we've had this. I'm thinking of trying to convince Tuman to like call the next version of, uh, you know, the MMA meat grinder, the meat market, the Diego, the Diego Sanchez boogie, because I think it accurately captures everything that he's pissed off about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know. <sighs> needs to keep being said there are i think a lot of people in mixed martial arts that don't want to hear that you know fighters like diego sanchez are either going to have mental health problems or trauma-induced mental health problems or severe physical problems tend to five you know 10 to 15 years down the track and it's going to be a nightmare from every angle of mma from legal from moral from everything but it needs to keep being said because if something isn't done it you know if something isn't done about it we're going to have a case like um what was that person was his name um aaron hernandez the one who who murdered i think it was his girlfriend and when they um looked at his corpse they found that like he'd taken a level of brain damage that looked like severe and advanced mental mental uh, health problems that's going to happen to mixed martial arts fighters if we don't do something about it So we are ending this analytical episode with a rallying cry, but I have to say that I'm in full support. Um, it's absolutely true, uh, and I'm I I am glad that we are like you know we the fight side actually has a platform we can bring some of those things up. That isn't usually what we talk about, but I think it's a, an absolutely a valuable one. Um, for stuff that I have on the back burner, I just wrote my uh, an, an article on Adesanya Costa. Um, where I basically just talk about Adesanya's perfect performance. It's a super technical piece. If that's not really your thing, don't bother. But if that is what you're, well, I mean, fuck me, you're probably listening to this. That I'm guessing that is your thing. Uh, so check that out, please. Uh, give it some, give it some eyes. I don't think Hacks has shared it yet on Twitter, so I almost didn't invite him to do this podcast today because I'm still pissed about it. Um, thank you, Hacks, for joining me. Uh, as always, love getting the chance to, to talk fights with you. Next week, um, 
I mean, oh God, I guess it's Hol Maldana. What's the card after that? I don't even know. Um, Holm Aldana. Is there? Do, Why do you know what the card? If... Oh, Marlon Marais versus Corey Sanhagen. Oh, that's a good one. I think Sturm and I are gonna are gonna cover that one. So next week we're gonna we'll dive into that because that's that's a really good bantamweight fight. Bantamweight's getting a main event as it should be. You love to see it. Um, all right, thank you guys. Uh, stay tuned to the fight side. You can follow Haxorized on Twitter at. Hacks Arise. You can follow me on Twitter at dmarty77. Check out thefightsite.com for all your combat sports needs. Go check out Bovada. You can get a free $250 signing bonus. Please bet responsibly. Uh, check out the Hyperfly link at the bottom of the Fightsite banner. ExpressVPN. God, we got all the sponsors. I'm doing the whole spiel off the top. This is that improv brain, Hacks. Uh, and please stay tuned for all your combat sports needs and stay safe.